Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday, everybody. I'm going to sit if that's okay today. My foot's a little messed up, which doesn't matter. We don't need to talk about that because there's greater things going on today. You've already heard the passage that we are going to be spending some time in this morning. And it's Matthew chapter 28. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to pull out your scriptures uh, to Matthew 28. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. In fact, it'd be absolutely perfectly fine if you hopped up right now, went to the back of the auditorium and grabbed one of the Bibles that we have there. Uh, And if you don't have one, take it home with you and have a copy of God's Word Um, for you to read. We believe reading the scriptures and being in the scriptures is so important for our spiritual walk and our spiritual life here at first because it's through the scriptures, it's through the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us into truth that we understand and we get to know God better. And so we like to spend a lot of time here in the scriptures. Um, We don't need that slide just yet and I think I hit the wrong thing. There we go. Back there. Okay, awesome. Awesome, awesome. We're going to start in Matthew 28. You've heard the scripture reading already, but it's a story. It's one of the accounts of the resurrection. Uh, There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of them essentially are written to tell a story about Jesus' life. They're each written with their own viewpoint, their own vantage point. They, they, They work harmoniously together. But they're like different snapshots that are given. And this is the snapshot given in Matthew 28. Excuse me. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled it away. The stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear because of him, and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has, he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. But the story continues to go on. Now, while they're on their way, some of the guards, or behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money 
and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. 2,000 years plus after this account, we're still reading the story that has transformed human history. And it's a story of something that the world had never really seen. They'd seen resuscitations, like when Jesus raises Lazarus and he calls him forth from the grave. He says, Lazarus, come out. But it's just a resuscitation. Lazarus later dies. What happens just over a little, a little over 2,000 years ago is the world is shook as Christ was resurrected to eternal life. It's an amazing story. And it's an amazing story that's recorded in all four Gospels. But notice what happens at the beginning of Matthew 28. It starts off here with a story of two women going to a tomb. They're going to a tomb because someone whom they loved had died. Someone whom they loved just a couple of days prior had been crucified. Crucifixion is one of the most brutal forms of death known to mankind. It's, it was practiced by the Romans, but it's been said that it wasn't invented by the Romans. I think it was invented by the Assyrians, but it was perfected by the Romans. They knew how to make you pay. They knew how to squeak out every last inch of life, and they knew how to make sure when you got taken off that cross that your body was dead. Jesus goes through a Roman crucifixion. He's placed in a tomb before the Sabbath day. And early on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath, before the sun came up, there's two women, and they're heading out to the tomb where Jesus' body lay. We find out from some of the Gospels, I think it's Mark's Gospel, that when they get there, the tomb is already moved. Or not the tomb, but the, the stone that, that was over the tomb was already moved. But just think about it. They're going out in the early morning, and it's dark. They're finding their way, maybe a, a, a lamp or a torch or something to guide their way. And they're going to go because they can't wait. They can't wait, and yet they don't want to go, I think, to some extent, too, because it brings up these memories of just a couple days prior. But they can't wait to go and to anoint his body for burial. And when they get there, they're met by an extraordinary scene. Mary is the name of the first, and ironically, Mary is also the name of the second. We don't know exactly who the second Mary is. It's, it's most likely um, the mother of James and Joseph that chapter 27 talks about. But we know a little bit about the first Mary. Mary Magdalene is a woman who, who comes up several times in the Gospels. She, she is loved by Jesus, and, and she's transformed by Jesus. In fact, we find out in, a, in Luke's Gospel that one of the things that marked Mary is that she was someone who had seven demons in her at one point in her life. Seven demons in her. Her life was just all askew. It was broken. It was frail. And Jesus comes along and Jesus absolutely transforms her life. She becomes a disciple of Jesus along with this other Mary and a whole bunch of other people, of course, including the 12 whom Jesus really invests his life into. But she comes out this early morning with the other Mary early on. 
to view the tomb with sustained attention. That's what it means when it says that they came to look at the grave. They came to look or to view with it at, with sustained intention. See, the last week had been a whirlwind. Not even just the last couple days, but the last week had been a whirlwind. Uh, about a week earlier, Jesus had come into Jerusalem and he was riding on a donkey. He was coming in like a king. In fact, there were people who wanted to anoint him as a king. Jesus came in like that. A couple days later, John's gospel kind of records a day-by-day -day scenario. A couple days later, Jesus and his disciples are gathering for the Passover. The Passover is one of the three great pilgrim feasts within the Jewish calendar year. You have Passover, you have Pentecost, and you have um, the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. It's one of those that you came to Jerusalem for because there was a sacrificial lamb that was to be offered. You were to eat this meal together and you were to remember something. And you're remembering redemption. In fact, if you just want to substitute the word Passover for one word that describes what it's all about, it's the word redemption. Say redemption. Redemption. So every year, God says, I want you to gather and I want you to remember how I have redeemed you. And he's going back to something that happened years before, thousand years plus before, when God took the people of Israel and he rescued and redeemed them out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt. And he took them to be his own. He took them to have relationship with them. That's what they're gathering to remember. And the proper response of Passover, the proper response for Israel to remember God's redemption and to orient themselves is this word worship. This should say Exodus chapter 12. It's not Ephesians, it's Exodus. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 12. It says, when your children ask you, what does this ritual, talking about the Passover, mean to you? He says, you're to reply, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. And notice what the, the, the result or the, the action and response is. So the people bowed down and worshiped. This was a meal that they would gather around and they would proclaim what God had done through redeeming them from slavery in bondage. When Jesus came that year, he came to be the Passover lamb. He, he, he walks in being riding, riding on a donkey like a king, but pretty soon he's suffering and he's dying like a perfect sacrificial lamb. God says, as a result of the redemption I've brought to you, he says, give your worship to me. God doesn't say that out of ego or pride. He says it because at the heart of Passover, at the heart of this last week of Jesus' life is a love story. In fact, there's different scrolls of the scriptures that are read during different Jewish holiday seasons. And the scroll that's read during Passover is the Song of Solomon. And if you've read the Song of Solomon, you know it's about love, it's about marital love, and it gets a little awkward if you read it amongst mixed company, right? Um, but it's the story of a, a husband and his lover, but it's even more taken at this point in time within the Jewish year to be a love that God has for his people. Passover redemption 
It's about a love story. The Passover Seder becomes this picture of redemption for Israel and for us. The Apostle Paul calls Jesus the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And by doing so, he's saying that Jesus did more than to cover people's sin. In fact, he didn't just come to cover their sin and temporarily hold off the wrath of God. He came to be the once for all perfect sacrifice that would forever cleanse people who trust in him from their sin. So that when God looks at you and me, if we're in Christ, if we're a follower of Jesus, if we've received this gift that he wants to give to people of his death and his resurrection in the payment for sin, it's when we believe in that, we trust in him to cover, and not just cover, but to cleanse. We experience a new kind of way of living. Mary had begun to experience what this meant for her. For her, it wasn't just about another feast. It wasn't just about another Passover Seder. It was about her Lord who died. It wasn't just a doctrine in her mind. Her doctrine was actually a living person who came and who gave his life and brought life to people like her and so many others. Jerusalem. It was, a, it was a crazy morning that morning as these two women ran to the tomb. Like I said, each gospel portrays a different angle of the resurrection. Um, this requires a little bit of work of harmonization, but it's kind of like this. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's like taking a, a, a picture. Like if you were to each take a picture of the stage up here, you'd get a slightly different angle, but it would still be what it is. Would it be the perspective that helps you understand from that writer's point of view, inspired by God, what God wanted to communicate? Matthew's written largely to a Jewish audience. And so he's writing certain things that mattered for the Jewish audience. It's one of the reasons why in the latter part of what we read from Scripture this morning, he's talking about that there's still this... Um, this rumor that to this day, it's widely spread among Jews that the, um, that the, that the soldiers uh, came in and said that there was uh, disciples who came by night and stole him while they were sleeping. Because for the Jewish incorporation of the temple, not, not, not Jewish people who wanted to follow Yahweh and, and, and serve him passionately, but for the people who cared more about power and money— Jesus' resurrection was a bit of a problem, and so they had to mitigate some of the things that happened. But, but look really quickly with what, uh, about what happened. I'm, I'm going to separate this passage into three parts. Uh, they go like this. Believe, share, and rejoice. And, and they're marked by a certain word, and I tried to highlight it as I read, and it's the word behold. I, I'm reading out of a different translation than I normally do this morning because they do a really good job of consistently translating this word. The, fir the first one begins in verse 2. It says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. 
Behold here is a word that draws your attention to what comes after it. So when the writer says, behold, they want you to pay attention to what's coming after it. And this first behold draws our attention to an earthquake and an angel of the Lord who comes from heaven came and rolled away the stone and he sits upon it. And we get a little vision of who he is. He, his appearance is like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. It's like, that, that's a shocking scene. That's something that if you were there, kind of like the guards, it'd be really hard to miss. But this behold is there because this angel is going to engage not just the guards, but he's going to engage the women and he's going to invite them to believe. He's going to invite them to believe what Jesus had said he would do. It's interesting and funny, I think, that the guards shook for fear of him and they became like dead men. So, before the sunrise, angel comes down, light from him, guards, boom. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy because these guards are like paid and employed to be tough, strong people who you wouldn't try to go through. This is part of the Roman complex, right? This is a Roman territory. You don't mess with Rome. The Jewish religious leaders in chapter 27 had been concerned that what happens, they go to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they say, what happens if his disciples come and they try to steal his body away? And Pilate says to them, uh, he, it says in verse 64 of chapter 27, he gave orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day so that the disciples couldn't come steal him. So this is a secure place. Not only is the tomb sealed, not only is it a heavy stone, they have a whole bunch of guards who are there trying to make sure that no one comes to steal. When the women get there, they see guards on the ground, and they see an angel, and notice what the angel says to them. The angel says to the women, do not be afraid. So, big, strong, tough guards, boom. Women, what's going on? Angel, don't be afraid. That's kind of what's going on with the scene here. And he's inviting them to remember what they had heard. He says, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He doesn't shirk what happened just a couple days prior. He doesn't say, that's all a mirage. You've been living in a daydream world. He says, yeah, he was crucified. He's not here. And he clarifies he's not here with, for he has risen. And then he says, just as he said. Jesus, at least three times in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 12, 16, and 27, he had told the disciples, by the way, I will rise again. The angel is inviting these women to believe in the truth that had already been told to them by their Lord. A, a truth that probably at the moment go, they're going, how can I really trust that? But he invites them to believe and as if to show proof and demonstration, he invites them to come in and to see the place where, he was, where, where Jesus had been laying. Pastor Tom, at the very early, very cold um, sunrise service this morning, talked about this passage. Uh, we talked about John's gospel from, uh, from the context of how a disciple ran there, and they looked in, and they peered, and they saw the, these, the, these clothes had been folded, right? What grave robbers fold clothes, Tom said this morning. What, what grave robbers don't just take everything? Jesus is not there, but these two women are invited 
to see the place where he is laying. The angel's inviting them to believe. He's inviting them to trust what Jesus had told them prior. Other gospels record that the women were concerned about how to open the tomb. When they got there, they didn't need to know that because the angel's sitting there and they could inspect, knowing with certainty that Jesus was not there. I said that this first section has everything to do with believing. These disciples are invited to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection because what seemed impossible had come true. They're invited to believe. Some of you here, some of you listening to me today may be struggling through, is this a story that I can believe? And I encourage you to test it. I encourage you to read through the scriptures. I encourage you to read helpful books like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist who sought to disprove as an avowed atheist that there's no way this could happen. Test it. Ask God to reveal himself to you. God, is this really true? Now, sure, there's a measure of this that has to be taken by faith. But as you go back and you look at things, it's my conviction that this story can not only be believed, but is true. And I know that because in believing it, I've experienced a changed life from a God who is not dead, but who is risen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Mary, Mary had experienced, before Jesus' death, she'd experienced what it means to have demons driven out of her and to have a sound mind, to have a sound body. Still subject to decay because the body's not yet redeemed for us on this earth. But she experienced a little bit of the power of Jesus working in and through her. When I was a young kid, I was overcome many times by anger. I, I was the kid who would run upstairs, slam my door, and be mad at my sister, be mad, really mad at my brother. Um, we're good friends now. <laughs> um, I was overcome by a lot of fleshly desires of anger and, and, and just expressions that were, were not, not good, not healthy. At, at a young age, though, I came to know Jesus. And throughout the course of the next several years, like I remember the moment uh, just a couple years ago when my mom was telling me the story of, I remember when you were sitting at the, the dinner table and you asked your brother if he would want to do something and it was like a kind statement. You weren't like trying to hurt him. You were just like trying to invite him into your life and we all fell off of our chair. And it hit me, God was working. My life is a life that has been changed by Jesus. Where, where old patterns of anger through the work of Jesus' death and resurrection applied to my life, given to me by the Holy Spirit, through, through the work of God has been a work of transformation. There's no other excuse or reason for it other than Jesus has stepped into my existence and brought healing and brought hope. Where there was a bunch of anger and ugh. Your story is probably different, and that's okay. The point is this. Jesus comes in and changes everything. We go to the next section of Behold here, down into verse 7. He says, Go quickly and tell his disciples 
that he has risen from the dead. So we're invited to believe. The next thing we're invited to do is we're invited to behold and to share. These women are given the command. The the first people to be given the command, go tell everyone you know. (laughs) Go, Go tell the disciples. Start with them because they've had a rough couple days. So they go ahead and they tell him. But this word behold here draws attention to this because the angel says, behold, Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And as if to just kind of cement that down, he says, behold, I have told you. So you can imagine these women, they're like, wait, he's risen. Wait, there's clothes in there. Wait, Jesus is not here. There's guards over here. What's just happening? And the angel invites them to believe. He invites them to share. And then he says, behold, I've told you, I've told you. He doesn't want them to just stay where they're at, stay where they're comfortable. He wants them to go be bearers of this good news. Go quickly and share the news that he has risen. Now, it's interesting from a cultural perspective because women in the first century were not considered to be reliable witnesses. There's a couple of different sources. One's a guy by the name of Josephus. Another one is a section of the Talmud, which is a Jewish writing. And both of them talk about how you wouldn't use women as testimony within court in this time. Their testimony did not hold or carry weight. However, what's fascinating to me is that with all four snapshots of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the few consistent features that they include in their story is that it's revealed to women first. It says, go tell. So here are two people who, according to the society, would not be considered reliable witnesses. But Jesus, Jesus likes to do things a little differently sometimes. And he sends these women, people whom the world might least expect to be ambassadors and sharers of this good news, to be the people through whom he would first deliver this message. Jesus often uses people in this world that, that the world least expects to share the message of their transformed life. Ability, looks, status, privilege, none of it matters for a relationship with God. None of it matters for a relationship with God. When we all come to God, we come on the same playing field. We all come to God broken and in need. And if it weren't for his great love for us, we would be without hope. But Jesus comes to you and he comes to me. And he says, share the message. And it doesn't matter your past. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Because if I've redeemed you, if I've transformed you, if I'm in the process of making you into the person whom I want you to be, go and share the message All that matters for faith is believing that Jesus died and rose again to forgive your sins. And by believing and trusting in him, you are brought and I are brought into a living relationship with the God who created you. And I said, Passover is a love story. It's a love story about how a God comes for a people. And when Jesus comes, it's a story about how a God comes and he has great love for his people. Like John says in his third, in his gospel, the third chapter, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that no one would perish, but that everyone would have eternal life. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It says, whoever does not believe in him stands, is not condemned. Sorry, whoever does not believe in him is, or whoever does not believe in him, 
God, I hate it when I can't get it completely there, you know? Whoever does not believe in him stands condemned, but whoever does believe, it goes the other way. Have you all ever had that problem? You start something? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He who believes in him, here we go, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe has already been judged, or he stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It says, everyone who does evil hates the light, but does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is a work of love by God himself through Jesus what he has done has been done through God. The offer of life, the, off, the offer of liberty and freedom from sin is a gift from God that we're called to believe and that we're called then to share. This may be the first time you're hearing this message. It may be the 500th time you've heard this message. But this message should never grow old to our hearts. Should never grow old to our hearts. There's that old hymn that goes, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. It's an old story, but it's a story we need to constantly be reminded of. Because we need to constantly be reminded of, at least I do, that God loves me, not because of anything I've done, but because he loves me. We're invited to believe. And we're invited to share and to take that message of love to the people within our homes, people within our communities. We're, we're called to speak that message to one another, to remind each other of what God has done for us. The end of verse 8, sorry, end of verse 7 there's that, that next behold. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The, the angel is pushing them into this next phase of sharing. So I love it. In verse 8, they says, and they left the tomb quickly, right? They, they, didn't, they didn't stay around. They, they didn't linger. They were obedient. They left the tomb quickly. And as they're going along the way, they're met by someone. And behold, right, drawing attention to what's about to come after, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and he greeted them. Can you imagine that? <laughs> like, you've just learned this. You're like, oh, yeah, he's going to meet you in Galilee. And all of a sudden, boom, there he is. Jesus meets them. And, and he greets them with a phrase, which in the original language, uh, it's a common greeting phrase. You know, your translation might say, good morning, or something like that. It comes from a word that means to rejoice. It comes from a word which means to rejoice or to be glad. So when Jesus pops on the scene here, he greets them and he says, Kyrate, rejoice, be glad, 
or good morning. For some of us, morning is not always the time where you say good morning. Sometimes you're like, good morning, right? 14 cups of coffee, and then I'm ready to say good morning. Jesus comes along this morning, and he says, greetings, good morning, rejoice. He calls them to believe. He calls them to share. The third thing that he calls them to do is to rejoice. I think it's a greeting. I also think he's trying to give them a little bit of a continued direction for their expression. Because they, they, they ran quick, or they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. So they have this mixture of emotions of what's going on. Jesus meets him and he says, rejoice. And notice what they do. They come up and they greet him. And they come up and they take hold of his feet and they worship. They worship. The word for worship comes from an old English word that means worth-ship. It means that they, that they ascribe worth to the one who is before them. They, they ascribe worth to this master, to this Lord, to their king who was once crucified not too long ago and buried not too long ago, but who is now risen. Jesus invites them to rejoice and they go running to share this news but before they go running, John's gospel account tells us that Mary clung to Jesus upon seeing him. As one writer put it, they said, she clings to her hope, she clings to her salvation, and she clings to her rescuer. This is not just a creed or a philosophical idea. This is a person. This is a person whom they are worshiping. And it's a person who's both fully God and fully man. She clings not to an idea, but to a person. Matthew's account, again, says that they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And this is not impersonal adoration. They knew in whom they had believed. And these women had seen the transforming power that only Jesus brings to life because they had experienced walking not just after him, but with him. They'd experience what life means daily, daily in relationship with God. See, the gospel is not just that Jesus died and rose again to save us from our sins. That is true. That is true. That's a great cornerstone. But it's not the rest of the gospel. The rest of the gospel states that Jesus died, rose again, so that men and women would have access to God again in a way that he intended in the Garden of Eden. Back in the Garden of Eden, we find Adam and Eve, and they're walking around in the cool of the day. And not only are they walking around, they're actually walking around and God meets them and he engages with them. He engages with them. There's relationship in the garden. There's friendship in the garden. There's personal knowledge as much as they could understand a high and holy God who is beyond our comprehension. There's this walk and then sin enters into the world. And what God does in the gospel and giving Jesus and Jesus' death and resurrection, he not only brings redemption for all of eternity, eternal life, 
He brings redemption for the here and the now to have a relationship with God and a relationship that will only grow and deepen when we see him face to face. We rejoice today because our sins are forgiven in Christ, but even more, we rejoice because we're no longer separated in relationship with God through sin. We rejoice that we have a friend, that we have a Lord, that we have a master who cares about our every need and who meets us in our weakness and says, I will be your strength. I was reading, doing some study this last week, and um, I, I came across these great truths that I've read several times, but they just reminded me of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can rejoice that we are in relationship with him, not just saved, but in relationship. And here's what that looks like, or here's a part of what that looks like. It means that we're loved. It means that we're loved. John's um, first letter says that we are loved by God. We're loved by God and that he sent his son to satisfy the debt for our sins. Really quickly, we just say the phrase, um, you know, the phrase I want to say is, I am loved by God, but what I want to do is I want us all to personalize it. So, so say your first name and then say, loved by God. Does that make sense? So we'd say, like I would say, Jeremy is loved by God. W- w- would you say that and say your name, okay? Jeremy is loved by God. Would you allow that truth to sink in? Holy Spirit, would you help us learn more today what it means that we are loved? Not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we've earned, simply because God delights in you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're loved by God, and he invites you into a relationship where you can learn more deeply what it means to be loved by God. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, guess what? You're also loved by God. And you and I, we have the hope, we have the hope of eternal life through Jesus. We are loved by God. The second one is that we are accepted or that we are acceptable to God. All right, so here's the phrase, here's how I personalize it for myself. Jeremy is accepted and acceptable to God. Would you fill in with your name? Jeremy is accepted and acceptable to God. To the person who is in Christ, Colossians 1 says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. Ephesians 2 talks about how we are members of his family. I know some of us come from broken family pasts here. In a good family past, in a good family past, it's possible to be yourself and know that you're loved with all your faults and failures. You know that you can be yourself knowing that you are accepted and you are acceptable. When God looks at you through the eyes of Jesus, he says, I accept you. Not just today, but today and tomorrow and for all of eternity. And he invites you and I into that relationship where we learn what it means that we are accepted and we are acceptable to God. Not just today, but for all of eternity because of Christ. Loved, accepted, Third one is, I am significant. I'm significant. I don't know about you, but some days I go, and, and, and the lie that pops in my head is, you really don't matter. But God's word tells me I'm significant. 
God's word tells you that you're significant. Let's fill in our names. Significant, okay? Jeremy is significant. Ephesians 2 calls us God's workmanship. It says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, Jesus definitely wants to transform us into the person he wants us to be. But he doesn't transform us and say, you're unacceptable until you're here. When you and I come into faith relationship with Jesus, we're accepted by God, and God begins this process of making us more like himself. We become his workmanship. Some of you are, are crafty type people or master woodworkers. You know what it means to work on a project and work on a project and work on a project, and you want to see that project to fruition because it's out of great love for the person whom you're giving it to, or it's out of great passion to see this be all you intended it to be. It's kind of like that with God. He looks at us and he says, I'm going to continue to mold and to shape you. And he invites us to yield to him so that he can do that work. We're loved. You'll see how many times I can drop my notes today. Uh, we're loved. We're accepted. We're significant. The fourth one is we are secure. All right? Fill in your name. Jeremy is secure. Some of us struggle with, really? It, will I be saved tomorrow too? <laughs> The, the scripture is clear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says, when you come into Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Jesus says in John chapter 10, that, that the Father knows those who are his, and no one, nothing, no one can take them out of his hand. We are secure in our relationship with Christ. We're loved, we're accepted, we're significant, we're secure. And the last one is this, that Christ is my adequacy. I struggle with this one too, because sometimes I think that I, I have to make sure that I do everything that I can possible, and it becomes really a Jeremy show of how much willpower can I exert to do what God wants. The scripture reminds us in Philippians chapter 4 that we can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul writes in the first uh, couple chapters of uh, Corinthians. He says, I came to you in chapter two. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear, much trembling. But it's in his weakness he found that God's strength was sufficient. It's in his weakness he found that the message was actually carried by God, not just by him. I want us to say this together. Christ is, fill in your name, adequacy, right? Christ is Jeremy's adequacy. You're loved, friends. For those who are in Christ, you're accepted and acceptable to God. You're significant. You're secure. And Christ is our adequacy. It's what it means to walk. It's a picture of what it means to walk in relationship with Jesus. We don't walk in order to earn our way into his presence. We receive it by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. We can't boast about it, but we can rest in the sure work of Jesus in our lives. And, and maybe this morning you need to be reminded of that. That your worth isn't found by, by, by what you do or what you own, but it's found in the costly wounds of love, as the song says, at the cross and in the resurrection. God comes and he invites his people to believe, to share, and to rejoice.
I want to invite our worship team to come up as we get ready to close with one more song. These believe, share, rejoice are imperatives given to the disciples then, and they are given to us now. And the questions for us today are, have you believed and trusted in the work of Jesus' death and resurrection, and that alone to save you from your sins? If you haven't, I invite you to. You'll, you'll find a life, oh, a life of fullness that is worth living in the middle of a broken and hurting world. If you have experienced that, come back to that old story. Reaffirm and say, God, I, I, I believe again. My trust is again in you. And know that you're loved and you are empowered by God's spirit for everything he places before you. We're called to believe, we're called to share. With whom does God want you to share the message of Jesus? Jesus' work in your life with today, tomorrow, this week. Family member, friend, whom the Holy Spirit want to direct you to, to speak that word of hope and grace into. Finally, where do you and I need to be reminded to rejoice? Sometimes it's really hard to look around at our own lives or to look around at the world around us and go, ooh, there's not much to rejoice about. But there really is. Because, my friends, he is risen. Amen. Our Father and our King, we bless you and we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus to be our hope, to be our way, to be our truth, to be our life. We meet you here today. God, rather, you meet us. You initiated this relationship with us. We love because you first loved us. God, we respond to you today in worship, in worthship, wanting and desiring to ascribe to you the glory and the honor that is due your name. And God, even when we're done singing, oh, we will go on with your help, proclaiming of your glory and your grace, with your help to the world and to the people in this world whom you love and whom you've called us to love. Thank you, God, for meeting us here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.